Hey team, you're about to experience my interview with Derek Sewell. Derek Sewell is the GM of Crowd Analytics for North America. And Crowd Analytics has multiple platforms sitting underneath the Crowd Analytics umbrella. We speak primarily in this interview about DataX.ai, which is their data transformation engine, data sourcing engine. And we all know how important product data is to e-commerce, particularly in the B2B space where products tend to be super complex and product data tends to be super complex as a result. Derek has a huge amount of experience in this space, and I think his experiences will go a long way in helping B2B brands master their product data for omni-channel services. Enjoy. Welcome to B2B Commerce Corner. Commerce Corner is a sub-series of the e-commerce edge podcast discussing all things B2B commerce through the lens of agencies, consultants, merchants, and more. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I have a cracker of a guest lined up for you today, Derek Sewell from Crowd Analytics. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jason. Great to be here. It's awesome to have you along for the ride today. And before we get into the nuts and bolts of Crowd Analytics and the data X and the platforms you manage, Derek, why don't you tell us how you came to be working in this data space for B2B brands that are trying to collect, harmonize, and really distribute their data accurately. But before we get into all that and how the platform works, why don't you tell us how you landed in the space? Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, so I my background is actually telecom and SaaS and started working actually focusing more my skill set towards AI and started working with our parent company, which is Crowd Analytics. So they're actually a custom AI solution provider. In fact, what's interesting about them is they're the largest data science community in the world. They have over 25,000 data scientists who really compete to create custom baseline algorithm ML models. And uh, yeah, and so what happened is I was working with Crowd Analytics and we started, we were building all these custom AI solutions. I've been here almost five years, but the company's been around going on, going on 12 years. And, uh, and we started working with a large, one of the world's largest retailers on the B2C side. And we saw that there was a huge need for product data. And we started building some custom AI solutions for product data, basically where we do digital transformation, raw input provided from manufacturers to this retailer's template. And we saw that it was just very human, large human effort having to look at the data, further enrich it, normalize, standardize. So we started actually designing, creating models that could do some of that. And so we were successful and we had no idea that product data was such an issue for e-commerce. Of course, we discovered it on the retail side, but then on the B2B side, it's even worse, right? And the challenge is manufacturers from B2B, they'll send product data however they want to send it. And sometimes they don't even send it to a B2B distributor. And so that's what really what birthed DataX.ai. It's a product data focused solution using AI. So it, DataX it really is a, it's a content enrichment solution, but we do so much more. So that's how I ended up landing on this side. Wow, super fun, super exciting. Distributors, manufacturers, wholesalers, and distributors for that matter, they really struggle with data and they struggle specifically yes. with product data. They struggle with data harmonization. They struggle with data consistency. They struggle with enrichment. They struggle with imagery. They struggle with video. Basically, if it has to do with product data, they really struggle with it. And I think, and, and I'd love to hear your take on this, 
that one of the reasons is because for manufacturers, distributors, and wholesalers, the data complexity tends to be orders of magnitude higher than in the retail space. So for retailers, if they've got just a basic PIM system, they can usually they can usually enrich product data in-house. Maybe they have some supplementary data that comes from a data enrichment tool, but oftentimes they'll generate a lot of that data in-house. They take, they'll take photography in-house. Yeah. They can generate descriptions and attributes in-house. Obviously, if you're looking at a blue polka dot dress, it's pretty obvious that it's a blue polka dot dress. And you can put the cut, you can put the length, you can put the colors, you can put the secondary colors, you can, you can create the hierarchy between parent and child relationships with the variants of the sizes and the colors. And you can do all those things and you can put it into a, you can put it into a product hierarchy and categorization that makes a whole lot of human sense. But when we start thinking about the B2B space, products tend to get a hell of a lot more complex because they're oftentimes technical products in nature. And so therefore you might have spec sheets, you might have tech packs, you might have, there, there's all sorts of data that is quite unique in the wholesale space that you just never see in the retail space. Absolutely right, Jason. And that's actually what really drove us into focus on the B2B space because we saw that the complexities were so great and they vary really in, in some cases from distributor to distributor, just because again, they're, they're data models. And also they might not just be getting product data directly from manufacturers, but they also might be using product data from syndicators. They could be signed up for a su subscription. Now, is that data you know, has it been stagnant? Is it current product data? So there's just so many complexities just to even get all the data into your format, let alone, is it trustworthy? Is it trustworthy data? So I, you hit the nail right on the head, Jason. Absolutely. And if we think about what your platform does, it if I was to just read the back of the tin description, the product data transformation engine instantly transform data in one taxonomy or data model to any other using AI, there would definitely be elements of a PIM system that I would, when I read basically what you guys describe that you do and what your platform does, it definitely feels like a, a PIM system because it can ingest data, it can transform data, it can enrich data, and then it can syndicate data. And that's what a PIM usually purports to do. But then I also read that you guys distribute your data to PLMs, you distribute your data to PIMs, you, you don't really pitch your product as a PIM and you don't pitch it as the hub of all product data but you pitch it as a transformation and enrichment engine. So maybe we start with how do you guys differentiate yourself from a PIM in the first instance or from a PLM for that yeah. matter? Yeah, great question. So for us, obviously, we're focused on the product data with a PIM because, and again, just like you said, we really don't promote ourselves in any way like a PIM. For us, is more we're focused on the data governance aspect, unlike a PIM, where we're like, okay, is this the most current product data? Are we getting it directly from the manufacturers? Even just to take a step back, how I would really define ourselves and what we probably get most often compared to is we're really a product enrichment provider, right? And so there's all these legacy providers that you can name that are really just throwing human bodies. So you send them a list of SKUs and say, here's my MPN, here's my manufacturer name, go get product data you know, for this particular SKU. Our number one focus obviously is product content enrichment. And so we start there, okay, what we'll do is we'll go directly to the manufacturer's website, we'll scrape data. We'll also, if they've got a thousand page PDF document, maybe they don't even have a website for that manufacturer. We're actually using ML to go ahead and scrape from that PDF 
PDF document, getting the product data and your custom hierarchy or data model taxonomy, depending on what term you use. And we put that into your template. And so then again, we're focused on the trustworthiness, the accuracy of product data. And then what we'll do is we'll provide it into your template that's easily uploadable into your PIM or your ERP, whatever system that you're using as a data repository. The thing is, when we talk about instantly mapping there's really a challenge that distributors have. And a lot of them, they get manufacturer product data directly from the manufacturer, but it really just has to be mapped. So there's a new a number of solutions that we offer. Number one, like what you talked about is the mapping solution. A lot of times the data could be present, but it maybe it's unstructured. It could be coming in a template from that manufacturer. That's where we focus on our effort just to set up automation techniques to map. So not just business rules, but also how do we classify products into the appropriate category from a taxonomy, from a, if you've got a thousand different manufacturers. So what we do is we actually leverage an auto, a, an auto classification solution that will determine where those products should live in your, your catalog. So that's what we're talking about is number one. Then we'll also even map if we identify category specific attributes you know, that are relevant from your taxonomy, from, or excuse me, to your taxonomy from the manufacturer. We'll map all that data in as well. So we're not just talking about, oh, cool, let's set up mapping rules. We're actually using ML to determine where it should fit and rest inside of your, into your taxonomy. And then also we'll even map any kind of standardization rules that you're wanting to implement. So if you're having manufactured product data, we'll map according to your governance, your standard standardization requirements, your normalization requirements, unit of measure, just crazy complexities. We're going to be able to map that as well. Now, what we found, and this is, again, this is a revolutionary product. No one else, we don't have any competitors in our space. So that's why we're just, we're a content enrichment provider, but we're also so much more leveraging data science. What we also are doing is we're finding that that the data, once we've mapped it, that actually solves probably 90% of the challenge of product data that a distributor will face because they'll say, oh my gosh, I've got obviously my manufacturer name, brand name, title, description, features, even digital assets. We map those as well. And so that's obviously the solution we're super excited about. But what happens if there's no mapping logic that can be implemented because maybe the manufacturer didn't provide the data? And that's where we offer that secondary solution for product enrichment, like I was originally talking about. We'll go ahead and map product data, or excuse me, initially map the product data and then further enrich the SKU if it's missing your required attributes. So that's where we go hunting. We go directly to the manufacturer's site. We'll look through their thousand page PDF document, and we're going to scrape that information and then put it into your taxonomy. So that way, every single time you get a SKU, that is built out according to your requirements for your customers' buying habits, what they're looking for and searching for your e-commerce website. So yeah, that's really, I would say that's the full scope of the solution. And we also offer some other things too. A lot of times people have trash product data from their ERP system, dealing with duplicates, and then also with maybe not having a correct MPN or not having any kind of manufacturer brand name associated to that particular SKU. We're using complex, really, ML language models to go ahead and identify what those SKUs should be. And then we'll go ahead and scrape any additional data for that SKU so we can actually correct your product data. So yeah, we're just doing a lot. So not just, and that's why we don't really position ourselves as a PIM. We're focused on, can we get you trustworthy, correct product content? And the best part about this is we can either sync via API into any PIM system. We're completely agnostic. 
And also, if you don't want us to use any kind of API, we can go ahead and provide the output into whatever template. So whether that be an e-com platform, a PIM template, we're going to go ahead and provide any of the requirements that you need. And let's perhaps break down some of these acronyms for anybody who's maybe not working in this space, because I think acronyms are important. And I think definitions are important so that we're all on the same page as we talk about some of these concepts that are really mission critical to wholesalers and distributors that maybe have never been exposed to this before. If you come from the B2C, D2C world, you've probably been exposed to a lot of these concepts before. But if, if you're a legacy wholesaler distributor, sometimes these concepts are actually brand new to you. You've never heard of some of these concepts before. So let's first unpick PIM, PLM. And the other thing I want to talk about is the difference between structured and unstructured data, because I think that affects how good or how bad your data is. If you've only got unstructured data, then you need to get that into a structured format as soon as possible if you're really going to distribute that across the digital channels, because it just won't work outputting unstructured data everywhere across the web. So first things first, PIM, Product Information Management System. They, The audience may have heard of platforms like Riversand slash Syndigo. They may have heard of platforms called InRiver, or they may have heard of PIMCore, or they may have heard of Akenio, or any of the major PIM platforms that are out there in the marketplace. They may have heard of some of these names before, but effectively what they do is they take an ingestion of data, they standardize, they normalize it, and then they also give you a platform where you can manually enrich that data with additional information. So rich data, images, videos, product descriptions, product specific product attributes, and also specific product hierarchies, and they usually are able to do that on a multi-layer and also multi-channel basis. So they're able to slice and dice your data, and they're able to slice and dice your attributes depending on the destination channel where that data is going to, and they're able to roll up data and roll down data between layers of a product. So let's say there's a multivariate product, and we've got a parent, and we've got child products sitting underneath that. Let's say it's a for the sake of argument, something simple, a t-shirt. It's got five colors, it's got five sizes, so we've got 25 SKUs for that product. If you've got common attributes at the top level that need to roll down to all the variants, great. If you've got attributes that apply to only one or groups of variants, then great. We can differentiate the enrichment to apply to a specific layer of that product lineage or that product parentage. You can upload PDFs that get attached to those products. You can upload all sorts of different supporting documents and PDFs and and even point of sale information that maybe needs to go to a retailer for that product. So that that's a PIM system. You can have business rules around enrichment and images and all sorts of other things. Then if we think of a PLM, a product lifecycle management system, that's usually where a product originates and this is usually for a manufacturer. So this is a this is usually a manufacturer will put their specs, their designs uh, all of the all of the information around that product that usually forms the basis of information that would then go to a PIM, and then in there a marketer, typically the marketing team, would enrich that raw base product information with selling information that makes it easier for a customer to buy the product. So that's those two things out of the way. Then if we think about structure versus unstructured product data, any piece of information that is unique to a product and only that product is unstructured by definition. Meaning if we've got a long description or a short description, that's a paragraph that is unique to that product, that is unstructured product data. If we've got something that can be applied to two or more products in our catalog with consistency, then that is structured. So it might be 
color, for example. Let's say again, go back to the fashion to the fashion industry. We've got red, blue, green, black that could be applied to numerous products in our catalog, right? So that is a piece of structured product data in an array. So the color, the main name of that attribute is color. Then we've got an array of attributes with those red, blue, black, green, whatever, how many colors we have. We might have a thousand colors, but that is structured product data. And we can select that against multiple products in our catalog in a structured way and apply that attribute in a structured way. And why that's important is because most systems in the e-commerce space, including e-commerce platforms themselves, search and merch platforms, personalization platforms, marketing platforms, if we think even outside of pure e-commerce platforms, if we think of systems like CDPs and marketing automation, everything else, they rely primarily on structured product data to do what they do well, right? They can usually deal with some element of unstructured product data as well and effectively internally structure that data almost like a mind map and pull keywords out of unstructured data and make them structured, but they always perform better in the presence of structured versus unstructured data. So I think if we work from that base set of understanding, it feels like what you guys do and what a big role that you play is data sourcing in the first place. Because oftentimes, Wholesalers and distributors, they don't know where to go and even start to begin to collect product data in the first place, and they don't have the resources to create it manually in-house. Like a lot of retailers will create their own product information in-house. They got whole entire merchandising and marketing teams. That's what they live to do is to enrich products with data that they see as an asset that will differentiate them from their competitors. Wholesalers and distributors usually don't have that resource. They're lucky if they have a marketing team at all. They usually got sales teams, but they usually don't have marketing teams. And just finding the data, collecting the data, organizing the data, and getting it into some format that can be reused across systems, they don't have that skill set. And so it feels like that's the gap that you guys uniquely fill as of today. Exactly right. Exactly right, Jason. And that was a wonderful overview, just just updating, just sharing that for the listeners. Yeah. And obviously, just keeping in mind, there are syndicators who will collect product data and then provide that you pay a subscription service and they just now make thousands of SKUs or millions, depending on what kind of syndicator you're using, they make that product data available. And sometimes it can be good. Sometimes it's been sitting in their data repository for many years. So SKUs, obviously, as we know, there's different, especially in B2B space, the data can be a little bit more stagnant. However, there's different claims. There's different Prop 65 claims. Are, is all that data even current? Or you know, another thing is, have those SKUs been discontinued? And so even though a syndicator absolutely has their rightful place in providing data as a subscription service, one of our also key focuses, you know, a lot of distributors, once they determine that, hey, we need help, we can't do this manually by ourselves, let's go ahead and maybe sign up for a subscription because we're, we have an association or industry-specific syndicator that will give us product data to start selling they don't realize and they quickly learn is that syndicator might not have all of your products that you sell because you could be selling across industries. And so they could give you product data, but again, it could be missing SKUs. So then that means that you and your team still need to go get enriched data, however you source it from manufacturers, websites, or their PDF. So you still have to do that manually. But the alternative also or there's another situation too, is when that data comes in, it's all according to their standards. So that syndicator, when, there's, when they syndicate the product data, just like what you were talking about, they might, they might provide all this product data and it's, it's very consistent in terms of a data model, but what if they call something different than you do? Even just 
talking about your fashion example, what we saw time and time again is Lululemon might call something like a evening green mint, like these very unique attribute names. Now, of course, that's on the retail side. On the B2B side, say you're working in Canada and you're specifically in the, in, in the Canadian French area, you might call that product a jib, right, for your customers. And, yep. and so that's why I like just learning all the different nuances. Whenever we start with a distributor as a client, we try to understand, okay, do you all have your own data model that you use or are you using a data model that was given to you and you want to, you want to stay with that? Is that good enough for you? And a lot of customers will say, oh, we've been modifying it because our customers look for these keywords and attributes. So anyway, so that's why we're able to handle any complexity. Uh, and that's why uh, someone like us, normally the only alternative to us is to do it manually or just hire a third a legacy provider who's just throwing bodies at it, but just manually mapping in data somewhere offshore. Yeah, and I guess there's a couple of other things you guys do. So one is regionalization, right? And localization yeah. of data. Yeah. Like you said, in New Zealand, Australia, where I spent many years, jib is drywall, right? So we don't yeah. use the term we don't use the term drywall in ANZ. We use the term jib, jib board, yeah. right? Whereas in North America, it's called drywall. That's or sheetrock, one of the two. And in other pla in, in places like the UK, I think they use the term sheetrock above all others. And so they're yeah. they're all the same product, but they're called different things in different locales. So you have localization is one of the problems. Then you also have translation, right? So do you guys also work in other languages other than English as well? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And just, just even taking it a back step, our parent company, Crowd Analytics, we're largely owned by a huge, massive, publicly traded Japanese conglomerate. So as you can imagine, because I oversee all of North America as well as Europe, so we can work in basically any language. I mean, that level of localization of product data becomes mission critical if you want to sell. If you're a wholesaler distributor working in the United States and you want to distribute into Europe, for example, you're going to need to probably be in a minimum of five languages to get penetration in Europe because there's absolutely. a lot. The dock region, for example, is absolutely massive just in its own right. You know, then you have French and you have Italian and you have Spanish and, and everything else. And in LATAM, obviously, you, you have to do Spanish and Portuguese, otherwise you won't get any traction. So these types of, I guess, data translations and data mappings and data conversions and units of measure from metric to imperial. And there, so there's a lot of regionalization of not only terms, but also units of measurement and all sorts of other things that mean that you could spend, I mean, especially if your catalog is... You know, if it's 100,000 to a million SKUs, for example, there's literally no way starting from scratch, you would be able to do this internally in any reasonable length of time. So would you go data sourcing? So some of those data syndicators that provide at least a minimum baseline of data, do you subscribe to them too? So you bring in some of their data, you add some additional rich enrichment and organization and structure yourself, and then you effectively as, act as a re-syndicator of that improved product data set. Great question, Jason. Actually, that's where we are completely separate. So we have no subscriptions to any syndicator. So when we talk about going in, that means if a customer already subscribed to a syndicator and they're wanting to use their data, that's where we just take them as an additional input. Just, just if a customer sends us, hey, here's a list of SKUs. I want you all to enrich into our taxonomy. Here's some of the data that we get from manufacturers. Oh, by the way, we also get data from one of our syndicator partners because we're already signed up. We're locked under a contract with them. Here's some additional data, can you use that too? And so what our, our ML is going to be doing is looking through and sorting all of that data to identify how can we populate into your template 
But for us, our default is still to always go to the manufacturer because 90% of the time from what we've seen, the product data that's being sent to us, it might not even be complete where it's missing key attributes. So for us, we want to go to the single source of truth and never use a syndicator's data because it could be great, but we don't know when that data was refreshed and we would never put our brand, our logo on something that where we haven't had control over it and then assume that's a correct source. Now, if the customer says, hey, I've got a great relationship with my syndicator. I only want you to use the input from a syndicator data that you sent because maybe they have some kind of special agreement with the syndicator we can use that as an input and only use that and say they don't want us to go to a manufacturer website. Then the cool thing about our platform is we're going to notate every source. So in this sense, we're going to put our reference URL. This is a manufacturer's website. Or if they want us to try to scrape competitors or whatever that is, we're going to actually document where we source that data. Now, and I also want to say, Jason, do keep in mind that for us, when we came into this space, we saw that it was expensive. It was time consuming to do this manually. Either you use your in-house team or use a third party. So that's where for us, we're not domain experts across industries. We're just experts on product data. That's in building solutions that automate those processes. So that's why we're really agnostic. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. We're trying to address pain points and also do it faster, better, and less expensive than anyone else, whether you use a, a legacy provider who's just throwing humans, filling out Excel sheets, or if you try to hire in-house. We're just going to be drastically less expensive than any of those providers. Just because for us, we're using automation as much as possible. And I'm assuming also that you can take, if the source data is wholly unstructured, so they've just got a wall of text underneath a long description field, which we often yep. see from suppliers and manufacturers. It's literally a long description yep. and it's a wall of text. Maybe there's some bullet points in there. Maybe there's some unordered list of some description in there. Maybe there's some numbered lists in there of some description. Maybe there's some attach attachments in there of some description with some technical data or maybe a diagram or a blow up or an explosion of some variety. But oftentimes that data, the raw data that comes from manufacturers, pretty crap. Now, manufacturers are realizing that this is important, right? And some of them are very good. So we go all the way from either non-existent data altogether, all the way to excellent, very well-structured and unstructured data within a really clear taxonomy and everything in between. And I'm guessing that you can work with that everything in between and say, okay, we're given a wall of text here, but we can, using our large language models and machine learning, we can take that wall of text and we can turn that into structured data attributes that are meaningful to you, meaning your customers, that are meaningful to your customers and are in the format and the taxonomy that they actually need to go and sell their products with. Exactly. We actually had to find a way, how can we solve the problem regardless of whatever the complexity is? So whether it be completely unstructured, whether it be diagrams or blueprints, schematics, or even in the automotive space, maybe diagrams, broken down products, OEM items, you name it, we probably actually currently work with it. And have, being able to take that unstructured data and then structuring it using as much ML as possible. And that's another thing that I really want to make sure I point out. There's a lot of hype in AI, and we know this from really from failure and success, right? Just because we have the largest community of data scientists in the world. So we've been able to see, especially with all the new things with generative AI, with us, what we've really concluded is that AI 
in itself is not trustworthy without some kind of human validation unless the models are like this insane level confidence score. But you still have to have safeguards. You still have to maintain those models and tune them and train them and retrain them. And so for us, we realize in the B2B space, because you're dealing with unstructured data, you can't just be like, hey, thank you, Mr. Customer, for this product data. We're going to go away for six months and build all these models to, to take care of this input. That's not valuable to the B2B distributor. And that's why I think we have no competitors in our space. Instead, what we do is we actually go ahead and tune and train models in parallel while doing full enrichment by using as much human and automation processes as possible. So from day one, when someone engages with us, we're going to try to use our existing models, um, or if there needs to be quick tuning and training, we're going to be working trying to automate as much as possible because our customers, they see our pricing and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is better than if I just hired humans. So for us, we're incentivized to automate as much as possible. But for the customer, we're just saying, hey, you give us a list of SKUs. Here's our estimated processing timeline. By the way, on the back end, we'll show you full transparency. We're using as much automation and even human validation techniques. So I know I, I did a lot, and there's probably a lot to unpack there. Yeah, it sounds like you also, apart from the machine learning and AI components of the platform, you're also using elements of machine vision as well, because you need to be able yep. to scan a product. And if it's got really limited you know, structured or unstructured product data around it, you need to basically be able to look at that product as if it was a human being looking yeah. at that product. And so you go, okay, if I look at this product, it's a mass airflow sensor. It's obviously a mass airflow sensor because mass airflow sensors have certain attributes in common and they look a certain way and they're a certain shape and they're a certain size. And so we know, okay, cool. But even if we're not told it's a mass airflow sensor, we know it's a mass airflow sensor. You've looked at a million mass airflow sensors before, you know what those attributes look like. Cool. Let's put it through our model. Cool. We know that's a mass airflow sensor. We can apply certain attributes to that in a structured way, knowing what the base product actually is in the first place. We can categorize it in the right way. We can start to apply it to the parent brand in the right way underneath the certain hierarchy that we need to be able to get it out into the market in a meaningful way that humans can understand. So is that a lot what you do too? You're taking multiple machine learning and machine vision models and you're applying to the core data set. Absolutely right. And actually, it was interesting. I had a conversation with Gardner. This was probably about six to eight months ago. And we were explaining to them our process and you know who we are, what we do. And they let us know. They're like, hey, you all know that you all, we think, are the largest repository of ready-to-use AI models in existence. We had no idea because for us, we're like, you can create derivatives of models and all these different things. So that means nothing. But is it something that we can leverage to bring value? That's the thing. We're try That's our motto, AI uncomplicated. We're trying to get through the bureaucracy and the craziness of promising the world, but instead just focusing on delivering the solution exactly like what you're talking about. So yes, absolutely right. That's how we do it. And is that how Collection AI came to be as well? As you said, look, we're going yeah. to take our proprietary data models and we're going to say, okay, yeah. we're going to commercialize these instead of just commercializing the data that our models create, let's commercialize the models themselves and make them available to other industries, other vendors, other providers, other consumers of these models. Let's commercialize and monetize the models themselves that we've built in-house. Yeah, absolutely right. So yeah, Collection is definitely that spinoff of Umbrella under Crowd Analytics. Again, data science platform, we build custom models. And so that's what really birthed Collection. But because there's also crazy various use cases where governments, they might want to see if by all their CTV footage are all the their workers using a hard hat. And so like they want to go ahead and do image detection. So they'll might use like one of our existing models to do that. But that's more of the just the broad use cases, whereas DataX is focused just 
just on the product data. We also will build and create taxonomies for customers. And then really the start to finish to get them trustworthy structured product data ready to go into their e-com platform and PIM. Makes absolute sense. Listen, Derek, this has been a very enlightening conversation. How do you guys make your money? You say you're amazingly cheap compared to human beings having to do this. How do you guys make your money? Do you charge it on a per item basis? Do you charge it on a per category basis? You know, how do you guys make your money as a SaaS platform? Yeah, great question. So we have a minimum su- a subscription threshold. You sign up, you say, hey, I want content enrichment. Here's a list of SKUs. So we just do have a minimum. In fact, you can actually see it on our website, datax.ai. If you go to distributor pricing, you'll see it's very inexpensive. So basically it's 98 cents a SKU. That's for a full SKU build out. If you compare that to anyone, it's we're significantly less. And I'm talking about you give us an MPN and a brand or manufacturer name and say, hey, can you go get product data? We're going to get everything, titles, descriptions, features, specs, PDF documents, images, videos, whatever's available for that SKU. And it's just that dollar. Now, of course, that is the way we've structured that to be so competitive is that doesn't have any kind of guaranteed processing timelines. But every one of our customers, we've never seen them like not excited and happy about our processing times because our processing times are still going to be faster than if a human did it, right? So they just get excited over that. So we just have minimum thresholds. As long as you're spending a minimum of $6,000 a year on our platform for content enrichment, then it's 98 cents a SKU. And then now, of course, we do have cap limits on that. That's up to 100,000 SKUs at that price. But also, if you're willing to do you know, commitments of like volumes, we offer additional discounts. And then also many of our customers, and we had to make this flexible, a lot of customers come to us and say, hey, my content's good, but my images suck or my PDF documents suck. Do you guys offer like a partial build out, a micro build out? Yeah, we just want images. Great. We're not going to charge you the full build out price. So that's why we get really competitive even more there. And then, of course, we also offer additional solutions if you want just us to validate your MPNs or, you know, your brand name, manufacturer name because you have trash data in your ERP system. That's we charge like somewhere like 10 cents a SKU after you set up on our platform. It's just crazy. And then so that's really how we make our money. And then we also offer additional services if you just want auto classification, or if you're like, hey, I'm getting content from every manufacturer, where should it fit into my category or at least my taxonomy that you can leverage our system for that. So that's just a monthly subscription as well. It just depends on how many taxonomies that we're working with. So it varies in price. But I'll say also, even with building a taxonomy and using our taxonomy management tool, which is a lot more intuitive than ever using in a PIM, this is where the solution is just going to be so wonderful in price for you guys, because normally to build out a custom taxonomy, if that's something that you need help with or audit, it charge, companies charge hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's just not us. We do have some experience across industries, like I've mentioned. So what you're going to see, depending on what you're wanting, we're going to be the least expensive across all of these services that I've mentioned. Yeah, it's just, it's fun. And do you recommend, let's say I'm a wholesaler distributor and I don't know. I've got a million SKUs in my catalog. I'm staring down the barrel of a million bucks to, uh, to get this all organized and get it up and running. And that's daunting to, uh, to a brand that may be a mid-sized brand. Do you recommend that these guys that have these gigantic catalogs, because maybe they're a wholesaler on behalf of 50 or 100 or 200 or 500 or 1,000 brands that they're sourcing from, but the top 25% of their SKUs represent 95% of their business. So would you always recommend that they do effectively an internal audit first and say, look, maybe we don't need you guys to work on a million SKUs. Maybe we need you to work on 100,000 SKUs initially because that constitutes the vast majority of our business. And then once we obviously get to a place where we become the preferred supplier because we got the best data of anybody else, 
and we, be, and we grow our business, then all of a sudden maybe it justifies the business case to do the next 100,000 set of SKUs. And then the next 100,000 after that, you create a, a segmented business case for your data based on how much revenue it provides for the business. Amazing question, Jason. And we get this all the time. So exactly right. However, just a little bit of variation there. So how, whenever we engage with a customer, they say we have, say, a million, five million SKUs, whatever it may be. We'll, we'll ask them, okay, cool. What are your top performing SKUs? Just like what you indicated. And then a lot of times I'll say, our data is actually pretty good because we've already done some effort towards our top, our top performing SKUs. And maybe they have some stragglers on there that they just want to go ahead and get enriched. So they go through that enrichment process with us. But then they'll break it down and say, okay, these are our performing B SKUs and our C SKUs. So then they might want to go ahead and take a piece by piece. But one thing also is what makes us very unique in pricing is as customers will go ahead and scale in their commitments in terms of volumes, maybe they want to do higher volumes than that minimum 100,000 SKU threshold that I was talking about, is we're going to offer even more discounts on top. So that's another thing. If you deal with just a legacy provider where they're just throwing human bodies at it, as they scale, they get more expensive because it, it costs more for them to maintain more humans to work on those volumes. For us, we're building automation techniques, so we're completely contrary to, or different from anyone else. We're going to be going down in price. So that's another thing. So it won't be a, if they have a million that they want to enrich, it won't be a million dollars. But just like you said, I always recommend, hey, let's go after your A's, B's, and C's SKUs, and then whichever order that you think is the best way to perform it. And then also what makes it so great is they might come to us and say, you know what? We want to do all of our A's and our B's, but we also want to make sure that at least Every SKU on our website, all million have just good images and maybe a certain product title and a concatenated formula that they want. It's just universal according to their standards. Consistent. Consistent. So that way, if anyone glances through their portfolio, they see, oh, everyone's got an image and at least a consistent title that makes sense. Think about the pricing where we would get to on that. So that's why it's a no-brainer. That's why we're talking from small, medium, and large enterprise customers for these types of solutions. Yeah, it's fun. And if you were to look out over the next 12 to 18 months for your product and your platform, is there anything your customers want today that you just can't do for some reason, that you just don't have the technology yet to do and you need to build it out still? Or is there anything on your radar that you're going, we don't do this today. Our customers aren't necessarily asking for it, but we see a gap in the market. So we know we want to add this feature or this functionality to make us even more competitive in the market, to create an even bigger moat between us and would-be competitors. Yeah, that, that's a wonderful question. I will say this. We have a taxonomy management solution that will go ahead, and this is all R&D. Now we're talking about R&D, essentially, based on customer feedback and demand. So our taxonomy management solution, it will showcase your entire data model, your hierarchy, your, all of your categories, all the way to your lowest leaf notes, right? Being able to see where your SKUs are represented Normally, you have to do all this in a PIM, but it's not intuitive, and it's very hard and cumbersome to do this. So what happens if you modify anything in your taxonomy? Say you're like, you know what? I want to call it a jib. How many SKUs in your current catalog will be impacted if you modify and change the name on that leaf node? Our system actually, and something that we're doing now, and I'm talking about R&D as a future state, but this is just something that we're incorporating now as feedback. You'll be able to see if you make a change in your taxonomy, what SKUs are going to be impacted, or say if you merge particular nodes or delete you know, categories, where should those products go back into your system or excuse me, into your catalog? Where do they fit? Our system is actually going to be able to reclassify all products instantly in our system to feed back in. So that's just some cool features. Another R&D project that we're doing right now 
is we can also map all of the safety data sheets and MS, MS data sheets. We can map and extract all attributes that they're wanting directly based on anyone's requirements. And we find, you would think that there's the standard requirements across every distributor, which there are, but there's also cases of additional information that they want. So we can, we're actually doing that now. That's a live and we're even taking on some additional beta testers. And then our biggest thing that's, again, a revolutionary product here that we're super excited about is we're going to be able to map product data from any manufacturer into any distributor's template with category-specific attributes and classifying products into the data instantly, instantly. So 100% automated. Whereas right now, our service that we do is it's part automated and also part human. Whereas imagine, if you will, if I give this tool to you and you're, you're an e-commerce manager, you want to go ahead and start mapping data and you're like, oh, this is correct, this is not. And the system is going to be completely intelligent and self-learning. And so we will go ahead, if you give feedback, say something looks weird or wrong, we'll go ahead and be able to incorporate that feedback. It's just It's amazing what we're coming out with. Yeah. Wow. Exciting times. This is game-changing technology for, we've had a lot of, over the last decade, we've had a ton of game-changing technology come to the B2C and D2C space in the areas of personalization and PIM systems, et cetera. But we haven't had a lot of revolutionary technology or services come to the B2B commerce space because it's, it's more nascent. It's more legacy. It's got a lot of legacy categories within this whole legacy concept of B2B. And it sounds like you're bringing some true innovation to the wholesaler distributor space and even to the manufacturer space to a degree. If, it's, if a manufacturer wants to work with you and get their data in order internally that they then can distribute to their distributors and wholesalers. So it feels like it's an all-in-one solution really for B2B brands. Amazing work. Now we're coming down to the end of our time together. I really appreciate you spending this hour with me. Now we're at the place where I get to flip the script. I get the uh, hand the microphone over to you and I get to let you ask me one question, any question you like can be personal or it could be professional. So Derek Sewell from DataX AI, what is your question for me today? Oh my goodness, this is wonderful. Just given your experience on the B2B side, what would you say is around product data? Again, we've talked about some really cool revolutionary products, right? But we always love to gauge interest. If there was the biggest challenge around product data, what would you say that would be? I know that we talked about the key issues, but if there's anything that maybe that you think we should additionally cover on this on this on this call. <laughs> Yes, yeah, something I run into really consistently with B2Bs is consistent data model from a parent-child relationship level. So I'll, I'll see, for example, I'll go in and I'll always ask for a sample of product data when I first start working with a client just to see what kind of state their data is in because oftentimes I can pinpoint issues that we're going to have later in the project just by looking at a sample set of, say, 25 SKUs. Show me 25 SKUs. Show me the data you have. Show me just an average set of SKUs. Cherry, don't cherry pick them. Just pick a representative set of 25 SKUs from across your catalog and show it to me. And nine times out of 10, this data has come out of an ERP. It hasn't come out of a PIM. It's it, the ERP for a lot of these manufacturers, wholesalers, and distributors. It is their ERP system. So it's, you know, it's D365, it's NetSuite, it's whatever ERP they have. And what I often see is that uh, for some brands, they will have their variants will all be listed in their catalog as completely independent SKUs. There'll be no cross product relationship created linking those products together, even if they have a natural linkage between them or if they should have a natural linkage between them, right? And so that means that from a merchandising perspective on the front end of the website, it makes it really hard to show related products, upsells, cross-sells, you know, to be able to show parent-child relationships on a single product page and show, okay, here's the parent product, but here's the five variants that you can select from in a drop-down. 
if they don't have that consistency across their catalog, it makes it really difficult to present that and merchandise that in a way that the human buyer on the front end consuming that digital experience can make sense of. And so it just dramatically increases the cognitive load on the buyer to figure out what's available, what's not, what should be linked together and what's not. And one of the first things I usually do is I help them understand the importance of at least having consistency in their product model. If you're going to, if you're going to list all your variants as individual SKUs with their own individual product page, great. Let's do that for the entire catalog. If you're going to have product variants listed underneath a parent, then let's do that for every situation where up there's a parent and a child relationship between a product so that at least customers know when they go to your website, they're going to get a consistent experience across their browse and search experience, whether they choose to browse via category or whether they choose to browse via site search, they're going to get a consistent experience. Even on the search results page in the product tile, they're going to see those product with variants and it's going to be immediately visible that it is a product that has variants with it. So that's probably one of the biggest issues I see pretty consistently across the industry. And then the second biggest one I see is having only unstructured product data and zero, zero attributes, consistency outside of just a long product description, wall of text, and maybe a PDF attached to that. I see that really consistently. Again, contrasting with the B2C, D2C world, the B2C world knows that structured product data is king, right? Unstructured product data is queen, but the king is structured product data. And they've done, I would say on the whole, a pretty damn good job over the last decade of getting data structured pretty well for consumer use. Uh, But wholesalers and distributors have relied on the knowledge of the catalog sitting with field sales teams and using the field sales team's knowledge of the industry and the knowledge of the catalog to effectively filter that data on behalf of the buyer, right? When they present the product data to them. And, but when you start moving into digital channels, that's not scalable. And so you can't have a field sales team of 50 people with this knowledge in their head You've got, you've got to get it out of their head and you've got to get it into the product data so that it can be presented at scale across B2B marketplaces, B2B e-commerce websites, different regions, different markets, different languages, all these other things. If it's not consistent, you can't standardize it and you can't distribute it. Absolutely. Wow. Jason, that was wonderful. It's always it pulls the heartstrings to be able to hear your perspective on that, just your wealth of knowledge. Yeah. And I'm really pleased to say, obviously, you brought up the second issue, which we covered the majority of our entire talk, that we provide a solution for that. But then also, you talked about amazing this in the first part of what you just shared of being the number one issue. This is actually something we also do as well. Again, as you can imagine, we do a lot. But we, we want to just own, there's about, I'd say about seven to eight certain issues around product data and we've just honed in. That's all. We, that's why we don't want to be a PIM. That's just us. But in this case, what we're talking about is providing those variants. So we, we do two, this a few different ways. Because we have obviously experience across industries, we look up category or excuse me, specific attributes associated to a product to identify what would be a variant. And that's actually how we do that. To be able to do that at scale, it's extremely hard. That's why automation is so important. And so when our customers ask us to do this, that's actually what we're doing. We're identifying generics, commodity items, and then also of course variants, like something that could be, it's a competitive manufacturer brand against one another. But then on top of that, 
What about transaction history of cart items? That's why we'll go to the customer and just say, hey, we can either look at competitors to see how they're doing product groupings, or maybe if you know you have those domain expertise people on your team that can go ahead and help you give us some knowledge transfer, then we'll go ahead and do this across certain standards for your products. Or what we love doing is the data mining aspect, where if you give us access to your transaction history, we can actually look and slice and dice to figure out based on your buying, your buying habits from your customers, we can determine what products should be sold. Because again, if it's a part, are there kits? So we can help identify that as well. So this is what we currently do. And also specific to jobs, specific jobs that need these particular products and parts together. Yeah, we do this all the time. Absolutely amazing. Listen, how would you like people to get a hold of you? Derek Sewell, obviously on LinkedIn, would you prefer that people get a hold of you that way or would you prefer that they go to datax.ai? How do you like people to get a hold of you guys? Thank you. It's most convenient for them. If they want to go through my LinkedIn, look me up, Derek Sewell. You might not remember the spelling of my name. So if you want to just look up datax.ai, just go to our website. Just there's a connect option. It will go directly to our team. And you can even mention podcast if you want. But yeah, we'd be happy to have a free consultation. Oh, and the best part also about everything that we mentioned, we give free samples. So like free audits, free samples. I mean, everything that we're just talking about. So they can actually see how we prove this out. Absolutely love it. Thank you, Derek. I'll put all the links to your profile and to DataX in the show notes so people will be able to click on that easily. But it is DataX.ai if they want to go and check out your platform in detail and sign up for a bit of a free trial there. And thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and wisdom today and really paving the way for manufacturers, wholesalers, and distributors to do product data better. It's such an important, it's such an important service. And it's such a, it's a very important area of expertise that this industry needs to move forward in competition with that B2C world out there. So thank you very much for your time. Can't wait to speak to you again soon, my friend. Are you a B2B or D2C e-commerce merchant? Then head over to greenwoodconsulting.net to learn how we can help you scale your business. 